hard work, gun-toting cats atop flame-nostriled unicorns, this is Carbon 4 Brewing in Madison, Wisconsin. Come along and hang out with the guys behind the Fantasy Factory curtain. Be exposed to those backroom, unfiltered meetings where the beer geekery is on point and beer trends are dissected. Welcome back to another episode of the Carbon 4 Podcast, an unhinged brewery tour. We've got um, Ryan Koga and Joe Waltzer back um, with the podcast, and we've also got Zach Koga here. And you've you've heard his voice kind of pop in on a few of the last episodes, but we've not really done an actual introduction to Zach and, and who he is and um, his background in the brewing industry. So that's where we're going to start today. And uh, so, Zach, welcome. And, and uh, hello. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I've been, I've been <laughs> Thanks for having me at my own conference yeah. table. <laughs> <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of the episodes from across the hallway over the past weeks. So, now begrudgingly, you're, now I guess you're we a part have to talk of the about me this time. One, yes. of my, one of my favorite things about last week was watching Joey um, cellaring. And he was listening to our podcast with Dean <laughs> while he was cellaring, just <laughs> laughing as he watched around the <laughs> Amazing. Do you have a favorite part? I don't know. We didn't get that into it. <laughs> Is everyone aware that there was an actual pyramid of Hopalicious on the table by the end of that session? Yeah, that happened. Oh, man. There was a lot of Hopalicious it, drink. It had to happen. <laughs> well, it, we were celebrating Hopalicious being back. It was great to see Dean. Well, you too, Joe and Dean, go way back and to see them just kind of hang out and talk beer and, and let their hair down. Um that and, was good. And to see Dean, you know, be able to relax a little bit. They've, you know, it's it, it's it's been a long journey and and to see you guys just kind of talk beer and seemingly with no other care in the world. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. Except for how much time you had to pee. <laughs> I think for Dean that seemed from across the table it seemed like the uh maybe the first uh relaxed conversation about beer and brewing he's probably had in the last two or three years, you know, and, uh, yeah, as the hopalicious, uh, content increased in the bloodstream, <laughs> could see the anxiety coming down and it was great to get him to kind of, uh, to reminisce on some stuff. So we'll for sure have him back on. That was a lot of fun. And, um, I knew when I first asked him to come in that it was going to be not certainly not pulling teeth cause he's been very good about it, but I knew that was like kind of obligatory, but I thought, I, I think we're actually going to have fun. And so I think he was surprised by how much fun he ended up having. And um, I look forward to having him back on. And it was awesome, too. I've yeah I've heard independent stories from him and from Joe. And then it was good to sit and actually, like Zach said, like a fly on the wall and get the uh, – watch the stories go back and forth because there was a lot of little details there, Joe, that you had that, oh, we did this, remember we did that, remember we did this. And there was a lot of things that just came out. And I thought that was, that was really special. It's really cool. I, I also want to mention you'll you'll hear a little fade in Ryan's voice. He just had sh- shoulder surgery. Um, what three days ago at this yeah, point? Two Friday. Days ago. Yeah, yeah. So two and a half. He's sitting in a sling and and doped up pretty out good. Over the painkillers. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably not going to make a lot of sense today. Yeah, we'll get so, there. I was going to talk about so how we were sober, but it's not true. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Ryan. I already started it off. I already kicked it off. We're not sober today. Don't, yeah, don't. Don't start drinking on those pills. That's that's bad news. Uh, I should have brought some cigars in. That would have been better. There we go. <laughs> so, oh so Zach, you are 
co-founder of Carbon4 and Ryan's brother, but give us the, you know, take us back to the the beginning of your interest in craft beer and the brewing, you know, how you got into the brewing industry and you know, all the way up to opening Carbon4 here with Ryan. Yeah, I mean, I'll admit that I I was I sort of learned the craft industry and got and got pulled in through Ryan that way. I mean, it's it's a long story, I'm sure we'll get into, but Everything I know about beer and about craft beer has happened in the process of starting up Carbon 4 and, and in the 10 years since then. Before that, I was just kind of a, well, I'm, I'm an engineer. I'm kind of a business-minded engineer by by background. I have a civil engineering degree and and tried to focus some of my elective work in the business college. And and then when I got into my job, I was I was always kind of digging into the broader business and looking at it more holistically, um, which led to being kind of an entrepreneur there and then and then really getting more entrepreneurial tendencies thoughts you know desires alex and i our other partner would would make a hobby of writing business plans and trying to come up with ideas like on the weekends wasn't the Um, one right before this was it the grilled cheese chuck or was it the uh the uh perfectly shaped uh (laughs) balls for um uh, yeah highball glasses so well um, I think the, the cheese guys, cheese truck was Alex and, uh, Tom, I think we're mostly thinking that they went skiing with another buddy of ours and, and had that idea like right before K4, but before that it was cheese guys, cheese guys. Yeah. Cheese I still guys. laugh about that. Yeah. Cause That's they, a good they name. Keep, you know, they were half joking, half serious, but I, I still can kind of see the look on their face and they pitched the name <laughs> cheese guys. You know? So, um, I can do yeah, it. and before that it was it was highballs. We we thought that the ice industry was um highly fragmented and seasonal and I don't know, kind of generic, you know, but it's but it's always needed. So we thought we, we should we should come up with ice. Like the idea was to take ice balls that were like perfect and wrap them like Godiva Godiva chocolates. How do you say that? Godiva. Is it Godiva? I never know. Lady Godiva. Like Toblerone. Is that the, the other weird chocolate brand? I would say Toblerone. Yeah, Godiva. Long, yeah. Right, the long, the Toblerone. Triangular. Yeah. Yeah. I never know if I'm saying it like Wisconsin. Well, I'm probably saying it wrong, <laughs> too. I'm <laughs> certainly not the expert on that myself. So anyway, the you know, those like foil chocolate mm-hmm. balls. Which we were, we were trying to get this idea. Yeah, if you could like brand. I mean, because you'd have... Now, some people would say this is sacrilegious, but say you want to put a really nice whiskey spirit of some kind, brown spirit on ice, and and you're just putting ice, and it, it might be a forty dollar ounce of whiskey. What's that ice? You know, what's is it is it tap water? Was it filtered? You know, can we could we give ice a brand and make it really nice and and have them individually wrapped and have this insulated bag they would come in and everything, but. Um, I, I think it's a neat idea. And then not too long after that, it was all this like shaving ice on the bar and Japanese copper ice melter shaper things that started coming to be. So I think we had an idea that maybe still has some legs, but, um, we were finding that it, uh, it'd be really, really difficult to execute because freezers cycle through defrost cycles and everything. And and we were imagining the wrappers getting like, frozen and layered into the ice and <laughs> it just wasn't tell you what though guy anywhere. if putting whiskey on ice is wrong i don't want to be right <laughs> I, I agree i i really like it that way but some i have a lot of bourbon drinking friends that would they can go to hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah my 
So I guess going back to the original question, getting going in beer, it it comes from Ryan, and then I had to keep up with my to you know to be father in law and uncle in law. Uh, Ryan was out in Montana, um, went out there for school, and then he got a job at at the Yellowstone Valley Brewing Company there during school, and very quickly was working his way into being basically the head brewer there. Um, and I, I flew out, I would do a one-way ticket out two or three years in a row for Christmas. I would take a one-way ticket out, hang out with them for a few days, work at the brewery, you know, go maybe skiing. I, yeah, go skiing. I could knock off a project for them or something like build something. Um, and then we would drive home together from Montana. So I got to know, you know, I got to get more immersed into brewery work and, and just seeing what he was doing that way and trying all sorts of different beers. Um, cause otherwise my beer experience was like quantity and Keggers, if quality was part of it. That you was, know me, that I was just had some OE. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I would like, I mean, I know. Tailgating time. Yeah. I would, my first favorite beer was Bell's Two Hearted Ale cause of the terrace. Um, it was on tap at the terrace and that was my first like discovery of a craft beer that I really liked and I could drink a lot of other ones. I would, I would just kind of dink around with them, but I, I, I could never tell if it was like an acquired taste thing or if I liked it or not. I was just so lost in the wilderness of it all. Um, so most of what I was doing was was drinking cocktails and shots and various things on campus here at UW. Um, so I, I got further into into the brewing world, you know, on Ryan's coattails. And then my, um, at the time, my, well, I guess my now father-in-law and and Laura's uncle, they they love craft beer. They're really into it. And so when I started dating her and going out to visit them, they were always looking for different beer and, and I would have to kind of keep up with them. So I would say those two, I mean, it really started with Ryan and then I, you know, had to keep getting more interested as those years went on and then meeting Laura's family pushed me further. And then we started talking about opening a brewery, but, but originally um, it was, it was really a project for for Ryan. He was out in Montana and he was consulting. He had started up a second brew publication out in Montana. He was consulting on a brewery startup in Pawpaw, Michigan. He was getting, you know, marriage was was coming up for him. He was engaged with Sam and um we we were talking just as a family as you know, we have me that we're always talking shop, you know, in our family, the the four kids and and our dad. Goes from poop and fart jokes to like yeah. logistics and lean in the same breath. Yeah. Same like, hey, what's the most efficient way to shit your pants? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How much faster could I eat these cookies? <laughs> um, so we we're always talking shop too much. You know, we're we're kind of we we know we're workaholics and kind of have a problem. It's just what we we do. We talk a lot about a lot. So we we were always solving the problem of somebody's career and and. A few times in a row, it was um, it was my turn for a rescue mission. Yeah, it was it was Ryan. Like, what am, what am I going to do here? Because I have I have this education. I have all these, you know, I have this masters and these certifications and things. And and do I do that job? I'm trained in it. I'm ready to go. I have this passion for beer on the other side. I'm getting better and better at it. I like it. Now I've started up a few locations and I feel like I have a lot more experience about the, the overall business of beer behind me. What what do we do? And and I think the pretty quick conclusion was, well, if you're going to stick with this, I think we got to find a way to either start a brewery somewhere, a small operation or or become a partnership in another one. 
but but at the business you're at, it's just too small of a company to stay there and have a career out of it. It was, you know, he was he had hit the glass ceiling pretty early and was just working his face off, um, brewing all day, bartending at night to to make rent and and think about getting married and so on. So that turned into like a fact sheet discovery process for Rye. And I think dad was really helping you do that. Like, hey, let's put a binder together. It came out for like fourth of July. Some something like that. He yeah. came to visit. That's the first time I saw dad. Yeah, and he got drunk. Kind of got drunk. He right? got shit drunk. <laughs> the Bad. one and only time. Yeah, let's smoke <clears throat> smoke porter. He like he took down two really fast. He started on his third. And I was like, dude, this is not going well. And I was actually bartending and I looked at at Sam and I was like, hey, can you take him home? <laughs> <laughs> She had to take him home. So yeah. Came home later and cooked dinner for him, whatever else. But that was great. Yeah, he woke up early one morning, like he always does, you know. But he, that's when I was living in that farmhouse on the west end of Billings. Yeah, I remember that one. With Dan and Matt. And uh, that's when he got uh, Cisco was out there. Yep. Right? Yep. That's when I adopted Cisco. And so I think he got up early and went to the Target or the Wally World on the west end and picked up a binder for me. And he was like, yeah, yeah, he like sectioned it up and whatever else, and he's like, "Here you go," and fill it in. And right. he, and then I actually did. I like spent a lot of time on that, thinking about it and doing it. And I think he t- he said later on that's when he thought maybe this was like worth something because I actually like did the work. <laughs> yeah, well, the did the paperwork. You're, yeah. You've never been scared of work, but the paperwork, the paperwork's like scares the shit out of me. <laughs> Get that out of here. So yeah, Ryan. Was was putting together a fact book of just having to think about more of what's going on here. What what's the revenue? You know what 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 amount of business are they doing in the tap room? Trying to get an idea of like how many pints am I actually selling in a night? What are we charging for that? What's that revenue? What does that look like over the days of the week? What are some of the costs of raw ingredients and things? Because up until that time, he was mastering the craft of it, but. It, you just, you know, when you're brewing, you're not always thinking like, oh, is this small 16 cents versus 25 cents versus whatever? What are the terms on this? You I know? still and, have no idea yeah. what the cogs were like back at Yellowstone. Yeah. It wasn't good, though, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so as he was getting further in that process, then his friend Chris Colson, really brilliant electrical engineer um, out in Montana and still a good friend of Ryan's. He, he ran a submarine in the Navy for, for years before Ryan met him was helping Ryan go further with that binder and with the the story of the business plan, like writing out a business plan. And and as he was getting further with that, we, we started talking more specifically about what what does this look like and you know, the demographics of different areas as as he was digging into it. But I I was kind of in parallel, Alex and I were having we were talking about ice <laughs> and uh food trucks and whatever other idea. And and then simultaneously, I was really busy with my career. So I, I was a project manager for Fendorf, their construction manager in Madison and Milwaukee. Now they're more nationwide. Um, I was, I was uh, building a 30 story building downtown Milwaukee um, and, and really busy with that, you know, had a team over there. I was driving to Milwaukee almost every day. And then I had other projects that were starting up in Madison. So I was kind of doing pre-construction and um, doing the, the sort of get work side at at home in Madison and, and driving to Milwaukee and, and then dreaming about being an entrepreneur and kind of having this quarter life crisis of, wow, I'm working like crazy on this engineering job, but I don't know if I want to do this for 30 more years. Like the modern, that was, you were like 25. 
years old yeah. in charge of a $35 million project. 50. $50 million project. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, was I was so probably incredibly the youngest impressive. project manager of a of a building like that in the country at the time. It was um, when they put me in. Well, first they they brought me over from Madison because I was really good at concrete. I in general I was just good at like accountability and discipline and organization on a job. Like let let's actually plan it out all the way, and then let's try to stick to the plan. And if it's not right, update the plan and just you know kind of rinse and repeat that feedback loop cycle. So with this being a great kind of process driven job which what if that's what high rises are you really get to kind of dial in the process they sent me over to to build the structure in particular lead that and i think about a month of me driving over there and getting involved with the project they were like why don't you just run the project <laughs> <laughs> um so i i took that over and and um that kind of forced them to give me a promotion at that time because it, it might have been embarrassing to keep me as a more junior person running that job <laughs> Why is the custodian telling me? Yeah, why? Who's this, guy? Who's this intern? You know, like meeting with the owner of this building. Um, so anyway, I was I was driving over there, busy. Um, that was actually a lot of our conversations was a lot of windshield time between Madison and Milwaukee. So I might be on the bottling line at Yellowstone or wherever else, and a couple times a week we call and check in while you were taking the drive back, mm-hmm. kind of catch up on where we were at. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah. And I had, I mean, gosh, we had so many things we were trying to figure out back then, 2010, 2011. Or what are we doing? What are you doing? Am I sticking with this? Yeah. Um, Alex was between things. He had moved out to LA, went back to school to, for creative writing, at UCLA, you know, kind of wanted to get in the movie industry, liked writing, but was in banking. He, he was kind of at a crossroads where he needed to sort of move on with life a little. And, but, but was, he was, he's really the most pure entrepreneur, I think, of our group and pushed me to think that way. I was much more willing to like kind of grow up in and maybe take over ownership of the company I was in or another one like it more than having to start from, from scratch. Um, and, and I think Ryan the same way, like was, was really willing to go for it, but was kind of like, what do we, what do I do? What do we do first? And, so we were, we I were, knew how to do all this stuff. I just didn't know how to make it a yeah, business put it together. So in those drives, it was just these constant like talks of very specific business planning and wait a minute, is this what I'm doing? Cause I remember at one point Ryan was thinking, you know, oh, forget it. I'll go back to PA school or, um, at the time I, I did, I applied to it, yeah, too. I applied to it. And I had, I had opportunities going on at Findorf and then Brian Hermes, Ryan's like best friend, um, took over his father-in-law's company and was trying to cherry pick me to go help him run that. And then had lunch with me I forgot the, about that. in the middle of this process. And he, he's, he realized, he goes, Oh, you're kind of having a quarter life crisis. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Get out. Yeah, I, I found out about that kind of after the fact. I love Brian. Yeah. Like, what a good dude. So we, we had this really kind of wild few years, um, trying to get our lives aligned with, with what was happening. And Ryan and I got the business plan going to the point where we had a pro forma and we, and we, and Ryan had called cold called Otto here when Ailesheim was here at this location and, and started the conversation with them. And, and Ryan came to town, um, Halloween of, uh, 2011 
for us to meet with Dean and Otto. Well, we met with Dean. Otto wasn't at that meeting and met with the landlord here to kind of tee up what would become us taking over the space. And then we met with our first investor, potential investor the next day and uh, pitched him on the whole idea. And he said he was in and, and all of a sudden we, you know, we're dogs that caught a car. We, we sort of stared at each other. We're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what do we do now? Uh, I remember leaving that office in my mind right now. I can even think about it. We're driving. I think that was the whole conversation as well. What just happened? <laughs> like, yeah. We just got an investor. So here we are. Like we've, we've got this plan that's starting to take shape. I I'd built a pro forma then to complement all the work Ryan had done to just try to put pen to paper on a budget, you know, startup funds needed. And, the cash flow and the revenue model. First investor said yes. We had we had our other brother and dad were talking to us, so we knew that they'd be in for something if if we wanted them to be. And then I think the next big step was, okay, now we have a timeline and a space, and we have a lot of the equipment. We can fill in a lot of the holes. And then that's when when Alex and Tom showed up at my house and Pitt didn't told me about Cheese Guys because <laughs> <laughs> um, they were driving Jeez, back yeah. through. They were. I'm trying to remember the details. Maybe Tom had went out to LA to drive with Alex to Denver. They went skiing with Juice, our other buddy, and then made their way. They were making their way home for the holidays, 2011. And and that was the point where I said, forget that, you know, Alex. We, we've been scheming for years now, and what are we going to do with our lives? And and I said, just, all right, we're done. We're done talking about all that that stuff here. Like, we we have this a real project. We got a real plan. Um, he knew that Ryan and I had been talking about things, but I don't think knew how far we were and said, Hey, I think if you come in, it'll just solidify us that we're going for this. Cause, um, it'd be, it'd be that much more energy. Um, he, he was between things. So he had a lot of time available to help chase things while I, I had my day job going on and Ryan had his going on. So that was kind of the moment that the three of us started to come together. Cause now I had to convince our family that, that he was going to be a partner. And, and then we, you know, away we went, the, the three of us started to come together more and more. Alex got working on the business plan with Ryan too, just to kind of keep working on the story of, of the plan. And, and I kind of kept going with the pro forma. And, and since he had banking background was helping to helping me to interpret what the banks might want to hear now that, now that we were ready to talk to more of them and had an investor on board. But at that time, he also, said, hey, let's let's bring this to my dad because his his dad is a owns a bunch of companies and real estate and stuff and let's see what he thinks about it. And and through that process, he I remember his dad said like we want to have a small group of owners here and and basically let's keep it within the family. So we never ended up working with that original investor guy that said he would he would back us. And I I've always felt bad about that that we we owe him a bottle like Blanton's at this point. Yeah, that we just never like he he took time and talked with us and he said he'd be interested and we just like we never <laughs> I don't think we ever talked to him again. Yeah, we kind of crap. Now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, that was a that's that's a big flub in the startup story for us that we definitely got to make that right. Yeah, I think we need to find him and and make it right. So we we um we ended up forming the company inside of both families and got going on the on the rest of all the details i don't know how much we want to go into the rest of it but through the throughout 2012 we basically made it real and got bank financing and got the plans together to to start 
renovating the space and making it ours, you know, when the, when the Asylum guys were going to leave. And I, and I kept my job with Findorf, um, for about two more years until April of 2014. Um, and, and just kind of did double duty and, and the guys, uh, Alex moved back, um, in the first half of 2012, Ryan had moved back in like August, was mm-hmm. it after, yeah, yeah after it was August. 2012. And then, and I was already here. So yeah, everything I learned about craft beer was really in that startup process. And then once we got going, I just, you know, over 10 years diving into every little thing with Rye fixing equipment, helping him problem solve, whatever. I've just learned more and more about the beer itself. And then, you know, in our discussions these days with Joe and Ryan and our various taste panels and just different issues that come up, I feel like I'm still picking up a lot more of the technical side of beer. And as specifically, I would say the, the kind of palate training. I mean, I'd never, I feel like I could always taste things but i didn't know what to say they were or if they were right or wrong you know <laughs> and i more and more get a sense of specific off flavors and things that are going on in the beer over the past few years that tastes like a dead cat yeah that yeah. cardboard yeah <laughs> well we learned zach's very sensitive to um iron content so every time we did something with like strawberry or raspberry or anything like that like you just would shoot it down oh that's it interesting tastes, tastes here's like here's here's one for you then did did you taste iron and call sign fantasy I have I have to think about it for just a minute. Um, that was the beer we did for the one forty seven. The one forty seventh guys, right? Um, for the Blackhawk Cruise. Mm-hmm. I think I might have. I I remember something about. I remember tasting it and thinking something about it. Maybe it was iron. I'm trying to remember exactly. Yeah, because a couple of people. It wasn't something that I I noticed, but a couple of people said to me, "This has a a metallic flavor, almost like sucking on a penny." And I'm like, well, that's, you know, not a, not a wonderful thing. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't offensive to anybody. Um, but what I kind of came away with looking at the the typical causes of that kind of thing is that the most likely scenario is that it's something to do with mid-color caramel malts. And this is actually an observation of Wills, who's one of our guy on the guys on the packaging line, um, said that he is sensitive to that flavor and he's come across it a lot in amber colored beers specifically. So kind of digging I, Amber, into that, there Amber might be something beers, to that. Yeah, that that's where I tend to pick up weird flavors. I mean, I've always it's something I liked about Block Party because it was one of the first ambers I had that I it didn't have a lot of problems in it for me. I usually other ambers, I'm just like, no, I don't, I don't want that at all. And actually, I should walk that back because Call Sign is very little uh, mid color caramel malt. It's got a little bit of caramel Munich, but most of the color is coming from coming from Munich malt. I think it was a darker Munich malt though. So maybe that's, maybe that's more the smoking gun there. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't put my finger on. I remember thinking, I remember having a reaction about that beer, but I only had like a taste of it. I didn't drink a ton of it because it was gone pretty fast. So. Well, what's Zach missing you though too, is that he was an avid baseball player. He's an incredible athlete. So I had the, uh, fortunate unfortunate for him fortunate honor of coaching him in football for like the last two years of high school and years later I reflected i think it was just a couple months ago i was like ah oh, i'm sorry for all that if i was like <laughs> you had to put with me i didn't even ask like hey do you mind if i'm there helping out well the guys loved but, you uh, you were always like the you were the wild card you know it's like 
Yeah, I was a young crazy Alec. I'll yeah, headbutt people. And, <laughs> get us going the, for the game. The poppy night yeah. of high school football. Oh, no, the boys loved seeing you. You'd come down from college, like Friday night after classes or whatever. You'd come flying down to our game because he was only about a half hour or so up in up in Green Bay, up from mm-hmm. Appleton, mm-hmm. and uh, and get us, you know, be all excited. Come out, come flying in the parking lot, and, and get out of the car hot, yelling at us. And that was the highlight of my week, man. I love the, that. Yeah, get everyone going for the game, and I and, love. Yeah, it. we excited. We we're excited about it. I sucked at playing football. But I was a pretty good motivator. I think. <laughs> yeah, you a were, way better I mean, motivator than player. <laughs> that's for sure. You know, that's how it is. I mean, I'm not super interested in. And coach, I mean, I, I coach the girls now, so I guess I'll find out if I get more interested in it, but I, I've never, it's been hard for me except for football. I'm a good fan of football, but baseball, I was trying to play professional baseball, but I, I've never been this like diehard fan of watching it. I love, I do love the game, but even now I'm, I always like playing it a lot more, you know, than, Mm -hmm. than some of the other nuances outside of the game. Like I was reflecting on this the other day to a, a friend of mine that plays ball that I don't know if I would have made it if I wouldn't have been the catcher because I was in every play. You know, I got to be involved, and I was reflecting on I'm like, man, I think a lot of my buddies were better baseball fans and players than I was because they they went through it all those years with me, and they were in the outfield or or even in the infield. And and for me, like I being involved in every pitch, I think really kept me in the game a lot. I could see. I never thought about that. So, no. so he got recruited by the Iowa Hawkeyes. Actually, actually, coming out of high school, it was you had a choice between college football, college baseball, and stuff like you people. Well, you like or powerlifting if I would have wanted it. Powerlifting, <laughs> yeah. So you took a spot with the Hawkeyes, and I think that was a really incredibly proud moment for our family. Do you remember going down there for like move-in day? We all went down and took them down there, and you know, growing up with like Packers gear and Badgers gear, like I couldn't wait to spend money on Hawkeye gear and, you know, walk around going back to UW Green Bay with Hawkeye gear and, hey, what's that? Like, Shut it. Shut your mouth. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, we'd go down like on a Friday night. If uh, there was like an away game uh, for baseball where Zach was was behind, like on a Friday, I'd get in the car and drive down to Iowa City. I'd go through Appleton, through by my parents' house, grab a bag of cookies for my mom and a care package for him, and we'd go hang out the whole time because he – was like an incredible catch. I remember watching Zach. was like eight years old, ten years old, being able to like throw laser beams to second base from his knees. You know, this little chubby kid throwing yeah. laser beams across everywhere. And uh, I'm like the chubby kid from Sandlot. <laughs> that's actually like agile. So the the coach that well, and he can tell the story better than me, I suppose. But the coach that recruited him for for Iowa then actually got let go that summer after he like was already signed and was going, and that kind of changed. Your career there too, and then that's how you kind of ended back up in Madison. Yeah, I think they saw me on the scouting report for incoming freshman and had to fire. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, I, yeah, I my my kind of mission in life became that I wanted to play professional baseball. Um, initially, it was football. I was just always into sports as soon as I got moving. Football was my thing at first. I, I'm built better for football, but I went when I did my first year of like pop Warner, like tackle football, I was physical enough for it and good for it. But I, I really didn't like it as much as I thought I would like practices just really sucked. And I kind of got this like sports asthma when I had all the gear on, I, I found, I mean, I was a little fat kid. That was a problem. Um, this is called wheezing. But, yeah, it's called we, donut yeah, wheezing. We, yeah, donut wheezing. <laughs> but I was like, really, my throat would start closing up, and the I remember like pulling the 
the shoulder pads off my chest. I just felt like I couldn't breathe. And I'd always just slam everyone with my head and I would have these horrible headaches every day in school. Like I remember having to go, I never get sick, like stuff like that. I never, I just don't get sick or go to the nurse's office ever in my life, except for in fifth grade when I was in football, I was like down there with like crushing headaches a lot. And I was kind of bummed out by that because I really liked football. I love the Packers. And um, so I took a break from that until high school. I just did flag football, but I went really deep into baseball. I think after that I was already playing, but, but really turned into it. And I just thought I should play professional baseball. It was a ridiculous dream, but I wanted to go for it. And so the first step was I want to get picked up by D1 program. That just seemed like the natural step. And and then I was getting into high school. Things are going pretty well. I didn't have like any recruiting that was happening as of my junior year. But then in that summer, going into my senior year, some more of it was happening, some of the local small schools. And then one day I came home from a, a game um, and everyone, my family's kind of standing in the kitchen all smiling. And I'm like, what? You know, like, why are they all <laughs> looking at me? And they told me that the the head coach for the Hawkeyes was at the game and, and I had had a good game. I hit a home run. I threw a couple kids out. Like we won. It, it was a good game. And, and I did that with a back injury at the time. And, and he knew that. And he's like, Oh man, you know, if he can do all that and he's hurt, you know, I'd sign him up. So, um, that was a big turning point in my life. I, I, I remember just being, I don't know. I didn't even know how to process it, but just was totally overjoyed i'm like oh this is actually gonna happen you know i'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna go pro buy mama house or something <laughs> so i when we got into my senior year i i committed formally and got to like sign the commit documents you know in front of my whole school in the fall and some football people were coming out of the woodwork but i basically just kind of gave them the heisman and, and said no i'm signing this baseball intent so I, I don't even know all the options i had for football but um, committed to baseball early. And then about three weeks before I was going to Iowa, the head coach calls me and says, we resigned, you know, like basically effective right now. And, um, mm. and I, I just didn't, I'm like, what, you know, I, what, what does that mean? I'm, I'm like packing up my room to come down. Um, and he said, Oh, I think you should just stay here. It's a great school and and they're going to find a good coach, good program, all this stuff. And I'm like, well, yeah, I like the school a lot. So um, good engineering program. Yeah, it's a great. Yeah, I was going to be an engineer. It's a Big Ten engineering school. So, um, went down and found out that that new staff was not happy that I had scholarship money, <laughs> and I wasn't their recruit. You know, they basically just made me a whooping boy right from the first moment. Um, I, I remember going. We moved in that first day. I think the next day, some of the my fellow freshmen on the team were like, let's go down and just like take some BP in the batting cages. Cause we couldn't have formal practices yet. Like, let's just go throw and hit. And, and we're in the batting cages, just talking and like getting to know each other, casually taking swings. And, and the pitching coach came out and just started like lighting my ass up about how I was throwing the ball. And I'm like, who, who is this guy? I hadn't even met the new coaching staff. Um, and, and it just didn't stop for the rest of the year there. He just, he was trying to break me the whole year. And so it was a pretty, it was a pretty tough year that way that they were trying to chew me up a little bit. I'm, I'm proud to say they didn't. I mean, I left the school, but I had, I could have stayed. I'd worked my way up to 
they brought in like six catchers. I worked my way back up to like two slur- two or three. I traveled for spring break, but not for anything else. I I'd formally got the red shirt. I, I could have stayed or there was a few schools I could have went to other D1 programs. Um, and then I, I ultimately just decided to come back to Madison because I, I wanted to be a civil engineer and construction engineering in Madison had one of the best programs in the, in the country for that. And I had some friends playing club ball here that said, Hey, it's, it's really good baseball and a lot of fun. And when I was looking at all the other schools that were available to me, none of them had the program that I wanted. None of them had big time engineering programs. So I kind of had to make that decision to choose an engineering degree over, over continuing to chase, chase baseball. And, um, I suppose that's what ultimately brought us to this point. Cause then I, Came to Madison, then never left, and yeah, that's it. Come Madison on the radar. Trying to poke at there because that played club ball for them for years, and you won't tell you, but he was all American. Got invited to like the home run derby and a bunch of other stuff too. So since he was here and active, when I would come home from Montana as well, I mean, Highway ninety ninety four, they split west of Madison, and they come back together at Billings. So whichever way I was driving home, I'm either going to Billings or Madison, and so we spent a lot of time. You know, hanging out in Madison, I kind of like really loved the city then too. And there's a lot of deep roots there. And I think that really helped to kind of establish that this was a good place to to try this and do this. And um, and Zach had already, through Findorf, had already made a name for himself in the community as well with a lot of people who who matter, movers and shakers in the community. So, you know, that really influenced a lot of stuff there. So it was kind of a weird, twisted path, you know, I <laughs> get oh, to it. Interesting. But Just fall forward. It, Yep. You know. And then that brings us to, to Carbon 4 being open, and uh, here we are 10 years later. Fatter so. and gray hair. Sitting <laughs> in a... Yeah, four daughters now. Four. <laughs> Everybody thought I'd be like the coach with these savage sons. Boys, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have the four most beautiful daughters ever. <laughs> I thought I saw someone, what was it, Rogan? So somebody not that long ago that kind of uh, was pointing out that there's like a lot of like, strong alpha type dudes who end up always only having daughters. Like I think even Jocko has only like one son, but he's got like three or four daughters and kind of happens a lot. And then here I am, the two some pounds of chewed bubble gum and I got the little boys, you know, <laughs> so and they're savages. They're all feral. <laughs> <laughs> Pee in the backyard, whatever. doesn't, they're crazy. I, yeah. I mean, I think you just, kind of fall forward in life you know have set your sights out you know forward somewhere and just move forward and see what happens i mean i've i know i've really learned to stop planning so much and and just kind of take it as it comes and make sure i'm always moving moving forward and i don't know where that really is going anymore but embrace that you know kind of embrace the process more than some goal some end state that doesn't exist so and zach's got to see the entire arc of bad beer to good beer <laughs> yeah across all the time getting better at things yeah, i've learned a lot man it's been like overnighters working on bottling machines and fixing stuff and building things doing the glycol like two in the morning you know there's oh yeah i lost a lot of years of life in there but <laughs> a lot of good stories wouldn't trade it wouldn't couldn't trade it. No, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's just amazing how much we've learned. And 
the twists of, of the whole path. I mean, when I look at my own young career here, it, I, I just never, I didn't think it was going this way at all. And and then even in the scope of our 10 year thing, it it's had so many twists and turns about, about what we should do next with the company. And yeah. And I really just stopped trying to look forward so much. I mean, I was always focusing on that, like, oh, I'm going to play pro baseball or I'm going to be an engineer and own the company. And that I'm like, I, I'm kind of done with that. I, Look at if tomorrow. Anything, yeah. If anything, I looked. Yeah. If, I would say if if the whole thing meant anything, it's been be just be present today. You know, sufficient to the day are the evils thereof. Let's worry about today. Try to be a good dad. Yeah. Good leader. Yeah. It turns out that's your real legacy is your children. I mean, I've never been a legacy person, but I always thought I was going to do something big. Um, that was that dream about playing pro ball. I'd, not that I don't know. It was like a, just this idea of something big was going to happen. And it's my kids, you know, that's, that's the, I, don't know. I plug that's the, the toilet a lot. So yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I make, I make big things too. And they need a plunger to yeah. rectify them. <laughs> cool. So, it always has to devolve to a fart joke. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, John. Yeah, but, but well, it, it, it brought it full circle. It really it's a pretty dry, I'm telling full a pretty circle. dry story here. So we need some comic relief. No, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for that, uh, that history. Got to break it up. It's really more like an oval. Thanks for listening to the Carbon 4 podcast, an unhinged brewery tour. Visit the tap room here in Madison, Wisconsin. Be sure to mention the K4 podcast to get a BOGO beer deal or visit carbon4.com or wiscopopsoda.com. Enter the promo code unhinged to receive 10% off your purchase and follow Carbon 4 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Send in your questions, comments for the team. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening.